0: Come in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here with my guy, Mike Renner. We are live on YouTube today, this Wednesday edition of the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast. I have to start with this. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get an Apple podcast because we have a Curtis Weaver interview. I talked to him, um, I think it was last week, talked to him about his process, what he's doing now to prepare for the combine. What's funny, I brought up to him. I was like, hey, man, are you, you know, cutting weight you know for, in, in preparation for the combine? Or are you kind of adding weight? Where are you at? And he's like, dude, you know I'm cutting weight. You guys call me a fat boy on the podcast all the time. So wow. A little stunned, A little stunned at first, and we were FaceTiming, so I could kind of see his body language. And he was kind of laughing about it. And he's like, "No, I, I agree with you guys. I am a fat." Did bullet. he look fat? I was gonna say, like, you saw his whole body. He didn't yet. look skinny. Let's just go out and say it. Okay, he didn't look skinny, but he said, "My agent says I'm to fat." Like plus, he's like, right? "My agent says I'm fat. You guys say I'm fat. I think I'm fat. I gotta cut weight." So right now he's working with Exos, which every, pro- I mean, every prospect they have a monopolization yeah. on this kind of thing. But he's working with Exos and Club Sexy. So some, some of the prospects are in a different workout program trying to add weight, add beef. Oh, okay. he's, he's in club sexy version of that i didn't ask him who the other people in that club were but he's trying to cut weight Mm -hmm. three workouts a day he's limited from a calorie perspective over a gallon and a half of water a day he said it's tough it's a grind and i asked him what's like Kind of the thing he's missed the most, you know, from like his old ha- diet habits. He's like, dude, when you're in college, you're trying to find stuff that's cheap, and usually the stuff that's cheap is pretty bad for you. He
1: didn't give me any mm. specifics, but uh, it sounded like that guy liked fast food. Sounds he like liked it. some fast hey, food. We've all been there. No, we I, have. Dude, I, if you've seen pics of me in college, on. I had to cut weight too. Yeah, you were a beast. To, to my NFL career. I mean, San
0: Diego. In San Diego, it's Mexican food city, and you just have like carne asada fries, quesadillas, carn traps, just oh, like yeah. constant state of cheese and grease. Which uh, I kind of—it's actually the name of my other podcast. It's a food review mm-hmm. podcast. Called uh, Constant State of Cheese and Grease. Uh, actually, we're going to move forward here, but again, subscribe to the podcast. That won't be on the live version here on YouTube, but it will be in the podcast when we do drop it. Let's go ahead and dive into what we're diving into today, though. Buyer or buyer Beware Prospects. You dropped the article yes. on PFF.com on February 7th. This is prospects that are getting a lot of hype. Well, not a lot of hype, but some hype. But there are some... No, these are all
1: pretty, yeah, these are all pretty much like first to second round type of prospects at this point.
0: And, and the reason they're buyer beware, because there are some significant red flags, whether it be off the field, injury, or even in their production. No, these are all... These are all on field, on field, red, red flags. flags. onfield these, these are
1: what we do at PFF. We don't, we don't do dive too much into the off field mm-hmm. uh, because you know our whole shtick is that we grade every player we play, so we gotta, we gotta focus on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's something in each of these guys, either grades, stats, something that's like. Worries us. Gotcha. Not writing him off. Mm-hmm. Just saying it worries us. Yeah, that's, that's a, what we're
0: getting. There's there. a little little red flag, and then we'll start with the first prospect on the article here, Caleb Von of LSU. Some people are hyping this guy into the first round. They like him as one of the better edge defenders in this class. I mean, it's obviously Chase Young, AJ Banesa, but then Caleb Chason enters the mix. Yes. You know, there's others that have him as that edge three in this class. Why are you
1: kind of you know hesitant? Why is he a buyer beware prospect? There's a number of reasons. One is like he is undersized. The dude's you know. Barely tipping it at about 250 right now. Uh, Obviously, still young. uh, I believe redshirt sophomore this past year um, has been, you know, starting or playing significant time for them ever since freshman year. So play back 2018, 313 snaps towards ACL in 2018, 61 snaps into that. And then was a full time starter this past year, 745 snaps. But on those never been super productive as a pass rusher. And so that freshman year, only a 65.7 pass rushing grade. This past year, only 78.9 pass rushing grade. And again, we talk about like the pass rushing grade. We try to isolate for factors. But when you have a lot of opportunities when you're ahead uh, and, you know, know you're going to rush the passer, it's difficult to kind of uh, account for that. Mm-hmm. Kind of like d Ford that year for the Chiefs when he had by far his best season. Well, they also had monster leads and knew they were going to be, you know, teams yeah. were passing on them all third quarter and fourth quarter. And so we knew he could rush the passer, you know, didn't have to worry about the run. You can't necessarily account for that in the grading. Jason had that this year for LSU. They were dominating teams every third and fourth quarter this year. All he knew he had to do was just play, uh, just rush the passer and still only a 78.9 grade, 35 pressures, and it's like being undersized with Usually helps you in terms of the grading in college You usually worry about guys who get like, you know, 90 plus past rushing grades But oh they're just around 250 because you know offensive tackles in college are just far less athletic You should be able to beat them far more easily if you're that sort of, you know elite athlete with that quickness That doesn't necessarily happen at the NFL level. You have to have a little more tools in your toolbox So for him not to be on any level being an undersized edge defender It's just like a little worrisome Mm -hmm. now. He he does have as physical as like as impressive a physical profile as anyone outside Chase Young in this class, but. That only gets you so far. Yeah, and it should it should have you know translated better to the college level is what we're saying. And I think that's
0: what we always look at. It's like you know it's easy to kind of come away with certain players. Even I mean, not he's not the same player, but Troll Lewis. You go back to like, hey, he looks the part. He has this profile, mm-hmm. uh, an athletic profile and, you know, and a size profile. Where you like, man, this guy. If you were going to build an edge defender in a lab, this is him. Yeah. But then it, the question comes like, why aren't you producing at a high level? And I think that same question applies to Caleb on chase on, You had these opportunities, and when you did, you did not produce at a high level. Where is caleb Vaughn right now on your board at pff and do you see him rising late in the process with a good combine do you see there's opportunities
1: to get him further up or is he kind of sticking i where think is he at? rises with a good combine mm-hmm. i think he's definitely you know he goes sub seven three cone four five something mm-hmm. all of a sudden you know you can get into some top 10 hype and people have them you know top 10 top 15 on their draft boards more more worried like we're a little more hesitant i'm just he's in more in the second Third round mix for 48th us. Forty eighth overall in PFS Forty eighth overall. Yeah. Like he's just it's like I I could I could buy into those physical tools in the second, third round. To me, it's very similar to a guy like not necessarily uh Tyus Bowser coming out of Houston, uh, who was freakishly athletic, tested off the charts, really hadn't produced much. Mm-hmm. And it's like that guy was like a second or third, he was like a third rounder. Um now he's a little, he's obviously shown a little bit more than Tyus Bowser did, but it's like Bowser's done nothing in the NFL because if you're that athletic and it hasn't turned on yet, uh, it, like it might take you a while to learn how to rush the passer and that sort of stuff at the NFL level. So yeah, that's just kind of where I'm at with Caleb on. It's just a day two guy.
0: Dice Bowser across 398 defensive snaps last year, career high for him, a 70.4 overall grade. Look, it's it was in six, year three, year three, 69.8 PFF pass rush grade. And I think he is, you know, where do like he go third round? I is think, he- uh, he went in the second round 47, second round. 47 Jeez. overall. So, so yeah, he has not produced, but he did have that athletic profile that people covet. So there you are. All right, let's go to the next guy here. We have Mackay Becton of Louisville. I mean, we've heard this guy go in the top five. There are going to be NFL teams that love Mackay Becton, but and I, I I totally agree with you on the red flag you highlight here. He is does not have good production in these things called you know true pass sets that PFF yeah. identifies as really predictive statistics. When you mm-hmm. do not perform well in true pass sets, which removes things like screens, play action, you know, uh, short dropbacks, those things. When you he does not perform well knows yeah. and he had a limited sample size of
1: those true pass sets yeah so that's the thing he had a, on 73 true pass sets last year the NFL leader was Jake Matthews who had 390 mm-hmm. and so uh, the 32nd ranked tackle last year at 250 so basically he'll take four times as many in his first year in the NFL if he's the first if he starts a full year than he did last year at Louisville. like he'll wow. get tested four times as much as he did last year and on those he had a 64.7 pass blocking grade against college edge defenders so like I'm just I'm not again. I'm not writing this guy off. I'm just saying it could be rough out the gate because he has no experience as a pass protector and no
0: experience. Does. And in the, the experience he does have, it wasn't it was good. good. It yeah. was not good. And I think you I think you bring up a great point. He's going to go quadruple his experience in true pass sets as a rookie. If he does get drafted in the top five, because he's starting mm-hmm. if he gets drafted in the top five and that
1: rookie season will be tough for him. Very tough. And that's the thing. It's like in a top 10 sort of player. Yes, you want to hit a home run. You want to get that, but you also want to maximize your rookie contract. Like mm-hmm. you want value right out the gate. You want guys who are going to add to your team right out the gate, not be liabilities. Who all of a sudden year three, year four turn into quality starters, year five turn into you know pro bowlers. That's not the career path you want from a first rounder. Go sign, you know, go sign off and sack them for agency if that's yeah. like what you want. Go, you know, pay, go pony up for Trent Brown if that's like the production you want. Don't draft that guy in the top ten because it'll just you'll have those growing pains that you do not want from a top 10 pick. You want that guy to make an impact right away, even if maybe his ceiling's not going to be, you know, this all-world moves like, you know, Makai Becton, you know, Orlando Pace or whatever uh, sort of ceiling, even if that's not uh, who he's going to be, you want the guy who can produce for you right out the gate. So that's just the worrisome thing to me Mm -hmm. about Becton is he... I don't think next year it's going to turn on and I don't mm-hmm. think for a few years just with how raw he is coming out
0: here you know? I mean in a similar vein you could compare Von Chason and Mekhi Becton very similar in what their red flags are like Von Chaseon, very good athletic profile you like his tools but in this you know, in these key areas when you need to produce when you need to have mm-hmm. a ton of pass rush productivity Von Chaseon hasn't delivered with Mekhi Becton in these true passes despite being the size of you know a mountain despite mm-hmm. being this this athletic guy that throws people to the turf has not performed well in this area and I think again these two players you know you Love what that you see from an athletic st- standpoint and size standpoint, but again, not not delivering in these key production areas going to going to quarterback jordan love of utah state (laughs) this one's obvious if you don't have this right if you don't have this right for jordan love like what are you doing are you even looking at his draft he turns the ball over way more than he should almost had more turnover worthy plays than big time throws last year which is always Mm -hmm. a concern that ratio really takes in mind your high end and your low end and you always want the high a lot of high end and not a lot of low end like a drew Brees level of ratio but he back and forth like a Jameis Winston or a Ryan Fitzpatrick when he's feeling feeling spicy I think Jordan Love is in that same boat in terms of takes risks and does not back those risks up with enough good plays
1: yeah and and it's it's difficult to separate player from uh, sort of talent around him at the quarterback position especially it is the most you know like it we've seen again and again it does depend on the guys around you but I do think Jordan Love just like The fact that it was so bad. Such a big issue. And and this isn't the only, obviously, issue with him as a turnover. They plays. There's a lot of other things on his tape that are worth, you know, sort of red flags. And even statistically, are red flags. But the the closest sort of corollary in our data to Jordan Love that we saw was Sam Darnold, which is not a good, you know, like that's not a great sort of uh, projection for you. Uh, Love had 26 turnover where he plays this past year. Darnold had 30 uh, when he was, you know, before he was the number three overall pick in his junior year. He obviously had that big soft, very similar sort of career. had that big year that put him on the map at USC and then a massive regression the next year. Had lost some talent around him, yes. 30 turnover-worthy plays that's, that season, but also 35 big-time throws. Love very similar. 31 big-time throws this past year, 26 turnover-worthy plays, but it's like, those issues have still persisted in the NFL. Sam Darnold. He still had been extremely inconsistent, had a lot of turnover-worthy plays in the NFL. It's not gotten better. It's not all of a sudden changed around and. So, like, blaming it on the guys around him, yes, but like, you're not all, you don't always go to a situation in the NFL where it's perfect. And a lot of times, if you're a guy, a quarterback going to a team that needs a quarterback, it's definitely not going to be perfect. It's like they need a quarterback because it's probably not a great team. So, uh, I do think that Jordan Love, like, there's too many red flags at this point for me to even come close to drafting him in what, the top 20. What was your final
0: take and your opinion overall on Jordan love at the senior bowl? How do you think he pushed that week and, and the game, et cetera? again, I think it
1: was just very indicative or not indicative, but very, um, just, I guess indicative. It was the right word indicative of the guy who he's been, you know, throughout his career, just up and down inconsistent, uh, alternates very impressive high level throws with very, uh, ugly decisions ugly decisions ugly misses that it's like can you clean up those ugly misses? i don't know like it's the quarterback position obviously a very difficult thing to To evaluate evaluate. (laughs) but it's like can you can you change a a guy and we actually had that good conversation with seth galena about how he thought you know sam darnold you know hadn't played quarterback a long time so he thought you could clean up, you know, the the, inconsistency. In the, pocket. the inconsistency. You thought you could like uh, get over those because he hadn't been playing that long. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, you're three and the same, sh- same shit's going on. Mm-hmm. It's like it, some guys, maybe it does. Sometimes maybe you can actually coach that out of them. I'm not going to take that risk though. Again, it's like, this is what we're saying though. This is a- added risk that you don't necessarily need. But again, at the quarterback position, it's one of those positions where it's like, the risk-reward, you almost throw out the window compared to every other position because the reward is just so much higher. In Sam
0: Sam Darnold's career, he's had 36 big-time throws and 44 turnover-worthy plays. That inconsistency still persists. I mean, some of that you can blame on scheme. I think Seth Galena brings up a good point that he's still learning the position, very much learning the position. But again, at a certain point, can you coach that out of him? Can you coach that out of him to a point where you could build around him as a franchise starter? I don't know. I think that inconsistency... Coaching it out of them is way easier said than done. Yeah. At all positions, let alone quarterback. Moving to another quarterback on this buyer beware list, it's Jacob Easton of Washington. And we talked about it with um, Trevor Sigma of the Draft Network and, and bringing him up. It's like, hey, there's a lot of things you can like in this game, but his player under pressure though volatile play under pressure is very volatile year over year college to pro but if it's as bad as it is with eason it's a huge red flag yeah. it's like can you climb out of the crater that is your absolute destruction
1: under pressure to a point where you're even just in the 60s where you're in this you know so, so i guess that's the thing it's like it's volatile but tom brady's not acting like that under pre- tom brady's not getting a 30 grade under pressure no you know so 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 eason this past year had a 37.6 passing grade under pressure the only Lower quarterback in our top 10 quarterbacks. So that's Joe Burrow, Josh Love, Jalen Hurts, Jake Fromm, Justin Herbert, Tua Tagovailoa, Jordan Love, Anthony Gordon, and Cole McDonald, the other ones. Cole McDonald's the only one lower than him in that top 10 in terms of grade under pressure. No one had a worse EPA per play under pressure. It's not even actually close in that regard. Eason, oh, minus man. 0.626 EPA per play. That is awful. <laughs> Over 0.2 lower than anyone else. And the thing is, he had a good offensive line that is the other thing here. He had, you know, Trey Hilbers on the right, Jared Hilberts Jesus on the right side, Trey Adams on the left side, Nick Harris at center. All three of you guys are going to be drafted uh, in this upcoming draft. So three draftable offensive linemen you had, you know, was not under pressure that much for you to collapse that usually that. Means you should be more comfortable when, like, you should. It's like for him to collapse that much under pressure is very, very concerning because he'll only see more at the next level.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's a good point. Like, as volatile as you know, playing under pressure is, like, being as bad as Jacob Eason yeah. was. It's hard to project exactly. him getting significantly better, better to a point where it's not such a big flaw. That you, you you feel uncomfortable having
1: confidence in him su- surviving the next level. Yeah, you'll see like Drew Brees have an average season under pressure. Mm-hmm. You'll see like, uh, you know, like I said, Tom Brady, uh, Patrick Mahomes like grayed out like all right under pressure. And then, pressure in some the high 50s, and, and then sometimes 60s. very high, Russell Wilson, you know, sometimes very high. You don't see those guys go from ass to then great the next year. Like that's not how it. That's not what we're saying by volatile. It's just not like oh Russell Wilson, you know, his grades top five every year. So his passing under pressure is top five. No, his clean pocket play will be top five every year. His passing under pressure will sometimes go from average to so you it's, can't yeah. correct. And what my biggest takeaway from what you said is Trubisky doesn't all of a sudden
0: put up a number one grade under exactly. pressure. That's yeah. you can't correct ass levels of grading <laughs> under pressure. You just can't, and that's the biggest takeaway that's, I have. And Jacob Eason, from what we've. That should from, be a headline we write about. Exactly. I'm right. I'm actually typing that out right now. It, it, for Jacob Easton, he right now at the college level if you look at his production is ass levels of under pressure. And with that being said, like can you coach awesome. you out of him? Probably not. <laughs> I
1: don't know. We'll, we'll see. Let's uh let's go to the next guy on this list. And, and the player like it's more and it's not just like okay the grade was bad. It's how he looks as well. When mm-hmm. it's like panicky, like throws that just like uh, you know, guys throwing it just like before a guy is even in your face, and like it wasn't actually yes, the pressure phantom like pressure, like the phantom, is phantom pressure scary, sort of stuff. Very yeah. scary, like the Derek Carr exactly. kind of stuff. Being We're like, unable to, yes. Yep. Very when much you so. when you
0: it's it's one thing to make make worse decisions under pressure. Every quarterback in the NFL, not mm. surprising anyone, is worse under pressure than they are from a clean pocket when they're not in an ideal situation. But when you start to invite pressure, when you start to react to early re- react to early to pressure, this phantom pressure, and they can't make any plays. And and you, that is where you really start to be concerned. I think. I think you bring up a good point when Jacob Eason, like even as even as pressure is just starting to you know, just starting. He starts to panic starts to really yeah. fall when well, you compare to like a Joe Burrow where are like dominates under pressure. Exactly. He welcomes it. He understands that it's coming. It's yeah, dude, Joe
1: it. Burrow's great under pressure Actually, I got this right here. 80.5. That's absurd. That, that is absurd. crazy Com- Like 80.5 is higher than a good deal. And a lot of that is just Comfortability
0: class. like yeah. confidence in your ability like hey when it's under pressure I don't have to like, you know curl into a ball into the field position and cry myself out of this You can like hey, I can make yeah. play here and and I think that acceptance that like hey It's not a great situation. I need to make the best of this situation not be a hero Hero, make the best of this situation again is a part of that's coaching mm-hmm. a part of that's just like confidence and mentality um running back deandre swift of georgia another guy on this buyer beware list and you wrote here in the article lack of elite
1: level play yeah for deandre swift so it's, more about that. it's basically what your expectations for deandre swift are he's still our number two running back like we still are very high on deandre swift like i think he's a very you know feel like if we're gonna draft a running back we take zach moff first and then deandre swift it's more expectations of are you drafting this guy in the first round to be, um, gosh, even like even like Josh Jacobs last year? Josh Jacobs had a better statistical and grading profile than DeAndre Swift. Basically, one he's never graded out exceptionally well. His his best full season grade was only eighty point three. Of all the first round running backs drafted uh, since we started grading college prospects, that would be by far the lowest oh, wow. of anyone. The the lowest before him was Todd Gurley, who uh, I don't know if you remember, but averaged like three point one yards per carry one year. So like <laughs> Todd, like it might not be like he's not going to be this guy that changes around your rushing offense. Is kind of what we're saying. And two, he ran behind the highest graded Power Five run blocking offensive line. Uh, that. It, that's always worrisome to me when a guy has that because it's never going to be as good in the end. No. It's just like that situation, you're, you're always going to see worse holes. Uh, and you. <laughs> God, Jesus, right. <laughs> I know that you're always gonna you worse. Holes at the next level, though. You don't get the same opportunities <laughs> that you do in
0: college. Exactly. Once you graduate, like it, it, the holes just get worse. I don't think that's I don't no. think that's a hot take. Like, <laughs> it just does. I've, I've experienced that in full force. Like, it's
1: <laughs> honestly a problem, and I'm still it's trying more to out, it. out the, Yeah, out in the out in the wild. But the other thing is is like broken tackles rate, um, yards after contact per attempt. None of them have ever been at an elite level. And yes, he has amazing receiving skills he is a great receiver he has you can split him out wide use him in that regard and that's the reason why we're still so high on him but if you're expecting this first round guy to all of a sudden change around your running game without you know significant investment in your offensive line he's just gonna get better results than what you had at the running back position before i don't think he's that level of running back i'm with you i'm looking at this list of these running nothing, backs there's that. nothing in like the data or grading that suggests that Mm-hmm. I'm I,
0: and I'm And I'm looking at this list of the you know running backs draft in the first round. Their grades at, at the college level. Rashad Penny, 88.2. Go Aztecs. As I feel like my biggest takeaway from that list. But uh, DeAndre Swift, you, you have to be. And, and behind that offensive line, I will say this though, in PFF's grading system, specifically for running backs, a very good offensive line can almost. Limit your opportunities to grade at a high level because you don't have those opportunities to force push tackles behind the backfield and that kind of stuff. But like when you, uh,
1: no, but like it's easier to break a tackle when you are given at space. the
0: second level yes, and the third exactly level. I guess that's space. true, but I think with Rashad Penny, he was contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage a ton in college, even though he was running behind San Diego State's offensive line. When you when yes, you have those opportunities and you're breaking those tackles, you're gonna you know you're gonna grade you know a little bit better yeah. in the system. I will say that. All right, let's go to the safety position, Grant Delpit of LSU. I mean, the, the red flag we've been talking about that's the entire podcast. About. I feel like that we started the podcast on this red flag missed tackles for grand open is his achilles heel like i mean he does not it's tackle. No yeah he does not tackle well much. in open space he doesn't tackle well you know in contested <laughs> i mean this guy is just not a good tackler
1: yes that's very that's just the best way to describe it he's just not a good tackle <laughs> yeah he missed over a quarter of his tackles mm-hmm. in a full season it is like a crazy rate and it's yes um we're still high on them. Yeah. Like we, we we care more about the coverage ability. We've seen guys. I don't want to say completely fix broken tackles, but like you know, Earl Thomas had missed tackle problems early in his career. Like yeah. there there are guys who can you can improve at your tackling, especially when like you're a good athlete and a, like have other things going for you the way Delpit does compare compare ass and levels like has, of tackling. has the size to yeah.
0: <laughs> compare ass okay. levels of tackling because that's the grant that's the two yeah. grand Delpit's in to ass levels of play under pressure I don't think it's as big of an indictment I don't think like missing tackles at the same position is not a, like, a huge problem compared to like playing as badly under pressure uh-huh. as Jacob Eason because the range and the athleticism the ability to be there for the plays is yeah. I think of more value
1: yeah and, and it's also like the percentage of plays that's going to happen in the NFL mm-hmm that's going to be as a quarterback that's going to be a third yeah, at least probably. in your place 25 to 35% at, at least um and then for a safety in the NFL that's maybe like 10% under of your 10% job. under 10% yeah. is trying to make the tackle i yeah. think that i think that's a big part of it also and the 25% rate is still like So like a lot of some of that was because he was injured very, uh, you know, he had the ankle injury was just like hobbling around the field against Mm -hmm. Alabama and uh, whoever they played after that. It just like really was limiting him. You could tell and he missed like six tackles in those two games combined. Um, And so like his rate before back in 2018, where he missed 19.8% of his tackles is probably more indicative Mm -hmm. of where he'd be, where he is right now, which I I mean, if the guy was at 12% rate, he's not that bad of attacking safety. Like that's kind of where you're at. So it's bad, but it's not irrevocable. Coverably bad mm-hmm. at this point, but
0: there, there are safeties in the NFL that I think are worse off than Grandell, but that don't miss a ton of tackles because they're never there to yeah. miss the tackles. <laughs> and I think Grandell is going to be a guy that's always going yeah, to be missing old, uh, a high figure, like a high, like double digit tackles, because he's always there. He's like always, that
1: Bill James center fielder thing. Yeah, like yeah, the center fielder that gets to more balls, even if he drops them is better than the guy that doesn't get put yes. balls but makes every play.
0: Exactly. I so think Grant Delft's in a very similar situation as to the guy you mentioned. I don't watch a ton of baseball, but uh, I'll let you know. That's just a, uh, that's like an analy- popular analytics. Uh, popular, I guess. I, you know, are you trying to drag me on the podcast? <laughs> like, okay. Yes. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> uh, let's move to Etor Itor Matos of Penn State. And the high end, he just has not had the high end level play at the college level. He has not progressed to the point where he's saying the production is very, very good. And I'd say even worse off compared to a Caleb on- on you and Makai This guy has just not graded well at any point, regardless of how you, you know, mm-hmm. what facet you look at or if you go to true pass rush snaps, any of those things. Like, this guy has not dominated, let alone
1: not dominated. He's just not graded well in any single season at Penn State. And he's, he has the size. So he has like the size, the length, those. Two traits. I'm not sure he's like plus plus athleticism. Like I, I think he'll be a fine athlete for the position, but I don't think he's you know uh, what we saw from like Montez Sweat last year, mm-hmm. where Montez Sweat was just like freak of nature athletically, the build, everything was just like out of this world. But then the production was like Ugh, not great. Um, Etor is kind of more just like. The size and build is there The athleticism is just like fine To where I'm not sure there is This like limitless sort of ceiling On him the way people talked about Rashawn Gary The way people talked about Montez Sweat having that So I do think that he might be uh, Might kind of just be him Might kind of just be like a guy who's like fine um, You know at the next level But not I don't see you know first round type Of uh, production For sure like I said his highest His highest graded pass rushing game This past year was only 78.7 his highest of his career was an 80.1 as a freshman against Georgia State on like 15 pass rushes. So that's uh, – and then, yeah, as I say, that 78.7 this past year was against uh, whoever they played week one of some cupcake, if, if I recall correctly.
0: I want, was not – was Etor Grossmatov not on um, Bruce Feldman's freeze list in 2018? I think he was. And not in 2019, but I think he was there before. I'm not sure, though, actually. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Maybe not. Anyway, Take but I think – But Etor Grossmatov, though, was – I think there are people that like rave about him having this kind of special athleticism or special tools, but I agree with you in that if you turn on the tape, you're not coming away with like, oh man, this
1: guy's a freak. Should we tell the story about the draft guide or no? No, I okay, don't think okay. we should tell that story. Uh, let's keep that, that one. Let's keep
0: that one under wraps. If you want to hear that story, maybe send Mike. You, I was Renner gonna ride. say you'll
1: have to see me at a bar. Yes, <laughs> <hear> that story.
0: <laughs> that one's tough. Anyway, let's move on from Etor Gross Matos. I agree with you one 100 in that, you no, know, the red flags, and I I think that's a very damning red flag. I'll tell you that right now. One of which where I don't feel comfortable taking you on day one maybe even thinking about other players on day two he's, because
1: yeah, he, he's a mid day two guy
0: um yeah because of that grading and that low grading mm-hmm. profile all right di defensive interior Raquan davis of alabama you, you, when you're an interior defensive lineman and you're trying to project to the next level and you want to be this first round pick or even day two pick you need to offer at least some form of upside or some form of ability oh. as an interior pass rusher and, and, some and, and, sort of
1: production. Some sort of you production. Should, production. Yeah. yeah,
0: production is, is is a good way of putting it. But <laughs> Raquan Davis just doesn't have that,
1: and it's and it's not only just that he doesn't have it; he hasn't improved. It's a two, so it's a twofold sort of uh, worry here with Raquan Davis. His first year, a double red flag. So his first year uh, as a starter back in 2017, 89.1 run defense grade, 62.7 pass rushing grade. It's a bad pass rushing grade. Second year back 2018, junior, 90.4 run defense grade. 68.5. So that's a little better, but you're still talking about the same vein here. Then this past season, 2019, senior year, 87.9 run defense grade, 71.1 pass rush grade. So still in the exact same sort of boat of just average pass rush. And there's and like it's not like he's in a scheme in Alabama that hasn't been like pumping up defensive interior players for like years in yeah. terms of their like production. You had Jonathan, uh the guy who I always forget his name because he just really boned us in terms of he hasn't been anything in the nfl who's the guy who plays for the redskins now Jonathan Jonathan. allen allen jesus uh jonathan allen uh great at out exceptionally well in the interior quinn williams is great at out exceptionally well in the interior as a pass rusher guys like Ashawn robinson uh John reed did not yeah. and they haven't been necessarily pass rushers at the nfl level like it, it's a, a scheme that's very much like uh you're not you're not you're not going to be, you're not going to be grading out low uh, because of the scheme. Mm-hmm. Like you are given every opportunity to succeed in this scheme. And he has not. That's what I'm trying to get. And,
0: and, and, but I will say this. I think, I think, talent evaluators with the nfl level and like you know media pundits and stuff are aware of it like they're mm. like hey like i think five years ago yeah. Raquan davis is hyped up as his top five pick this guy that's like got all the size all the tools mm-hmm. he's dominant against the run like you can't go on your timeline without seeing him like breaking into the backfield and making a play yeah. but like now like i think everyone has better understands the the landscape of the nfl on that like if i'm going to draft an interior defensive lineman mm-hmm. the highlights i want on my timeline are pass rush highlights guys yeah. that are beating beating interior offensive linemen quick getting into the quarterback slap
1: and showing that yeah. you can more him. than just pushed the pocket too. its beat offensive lineman right off the snap mm-hmm. and, and he's just not a high motor guy you're not gonna no. describe him as a high motor guy whatsoever but i still think he does have day two type of value like you get like onto the third round like i think he's a better prospect than Sean robinson was like Ashawn robinson was not an athlete whatsoever yeah ricklin Davis at least has some athleticism and some freakish traits and i like pretty sure a thing in the run game i mean like those run defense grades are pretty absurd so at some point there will be value and he's going to be starting in the NFL for a while with those with that sort of profile you just have to realize that if you're going to take him in the first round you're not going to recoup your value
0: no not at all all right moving to the next guy in the buyer bewareless. it's on pff.com by the way if you want to see the full write-up the full list go to pff.com for now we're going to just dive into on the podcast center Lloyd Cushionberry of LSU and, and I think this one we talked about on, on Tuesday podcast mm-hmm. yesterday we talked about Wanting to move forward with each year from a grading perspective. Showing that development that, that growth in the grading profile is very important because it hints at that you're going to continue to get better at the next level and your ceiling has yet to be hit. With Lloyd Cushenberry took a bit of a step back in 2019 did not kind of take that major step forward that maybe some project, projected. And with that, you know, Lloyd Cushenberry again it's hard to project how, how good is this guy going to get at the next level.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. He gave up the most pressures of any center in the country this past year. He 34 pressures. Now they passed. I think more mm-hmm. than than taunt. anyone else in yeah, the country. Yeah, like, and it was a lot of, um, gosh, what am I thinking? The last gap protection, a lot of only five man protection, uh, a lot of empty sets. Like, who uh, was put in a situation where it was like you were trial by fire? He was given a lot of one on ones. And when you lose a lot of those one-on-ones though, it's like, uh, was that, you know, is that, is that a good thing or is that, uh, that, that he had that practice or is that a bad thing that, you know, the practice led to him being very bad. So, um, he did redeem himself. I will say, like we talked about in the other pod that at the senior bowl, 75% win rate in the one-on-ones highest of any guy there, uh, and the interior line that was 12 reps though, over the course of three days of practice, like we we always talk about these one-on-ones like if you really don't get that many still and so it i will put more of my faith in these sort of what we saw on tape for 256 true pass sets this past year that led to him having you know one of the lowest uh grades on the true pass of any center in the country so that he really is slow-footed. Uh, I don't think he like is going to react well to quickness at the NFL, and again, it could be ugly out the gate if you're expecting him to be this massive upgrade in pass-pro, similar to Garrett Bradbury last year. Like He's not going to be a pass-pro out the gate. That's not going to be where he succeeds. Uh, maybe in time, he has the traits to do so, but right out the gate, if you're expecting this guy to turn around your offense line, just buyer beware. Yeah, right now, he's 87th on PFF's draft board, moved up a bit
0: after the Senior Bowl, but yeah. again, a guy like, I'm saying like third, late third is mm-hmm. where like I'll take good? that guy. Yeah, for sure. Makes sense. All right. Last guy on the list here on the buyer beware list on PFF.com. Bryson Hopkins of Purdue. This guy drops the football Any drop rate over 10% for receiver or tight end. You start to get a little scared because mm-hmm. over 10% is one of those numbers where like if you're over that percentage,
1: it's probably it's going to be a problem there. And it's tight ends with another position where it's like that guy has to have good hit. Like mm-hmm. the, the role you're playing is like move the chains on third down, catch the ball in the red zone. You're like. For the vast majority of tight ends in the NFL that aren't, you know, absurdly, uh, you know, that aren't maybe, you know, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, like that aren't downfield threats. You got to be able to catch the ball. Not a single tight end that, that you know, had uh, that was targeted 65 times this past year, had a drop rate over 10 percent. Bryce Hopkins said that every single year in his college career, four That's years, for sure. straight over 10 percent. And, you know, for his entire college career is like over 15 percent drop rate. It's just it's been awful. His hands have been awful. Well, he's never ranked above seventy eighth in the FBS in terms of drop rate. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and but okay, so talk to me about drops and how that factors in for even just receivers and tight end. When you are evaluating this receiving position, drops it's when you get over that ten percent where it becomes a real concern. But how far does that drop him down boards in your opinion? Fuck, that's
1: the that's the part that's always so difficult to sort of
0: because you go back to percentage of plays. It's like you're only dropping it on yeah. ten to fifteen percent of plays. Yeah, you're only missing a tackle on ten to fifteen percent of your plays. Here. It's still very. I think it's still. I think situational too. Like third downs, red zone, you can't be dropping the football at a high rate. You and it just can't. Yeah. Or,
1: or else it really it ends drives. And it depends point. on scheme. And it's that. That's the biggest. That's me hedging my answer here and saying that someone else has to decide. It. But it depends They're on what you want out. out of your. I know it depends on what you want out of tight end. And I said this about Noah Fant last year with the Broncos. The way they use that tight end and you know Shanahan scheme that they brought over is very much like. I wasn't too worried about with no fan. I think he was going to like, that was going to be the ideal fit for him in terms of crossing routes, deep overs, uh, you know, vertical routes down the seam, that sort of thing. Hands aren't as big a deal. Then I want a guy that's fast. Like I want a guy that can actually test the defense in that regard. If you're using him um, like you know Dallas used to use Jason Witten option routes underneath, you know your chain mover guy don't want Bryson Hopkins. No, I don't want to touch Hopkins. That's to a great Hopkins. point. So I mean, I think those are guy.
0: very two different
1: usages of a tight end. Yes. With Jason Witten,
0: like you need the guy to catch football every time because yes. you're going to him on third down. You're, yeah. you're expecting him to catch football over the middle and have yeah. these ball skills to make those plays. Compare Noah Fant's ball skills and how atrocious those are to Bryson Hopkins or what he brings to the table in that
1: regard. Um, so Fant worse. I fans think. Fan worse? Was, yeah, I think Fant was worse in terms of just tracking the ball. Uh, Hopkins just has so many concentration drops as well, though. Like he just like that ball, it'll be like hands, perfect place. And then just clang off his hands. Stone I, I hands. Yeah. Just
0: so in the gauntlet drill,
1: we're going to need to keep an ear down, you
0: know, cause it's all, So I think Hopkins will be, be better in like hands.
1: contested situations than fam- Will He be tracks the, the all better, but maybe like Fant. uh, but Hopkins might just have more drops in total. She'll so just drop a lot more easy ones, possible
0: Did you ever read that about the gauntlet drill? How like scouts will like try and listen because it's like how hard oh, does the ball hit no, your hand? It's crazy, like it's like, it's like hey, like ball hits your hand. It's like did you hear it? Because if he like just accepts the ball, it's like then, a whisper. But mm-hmm. if it like it's just banging on hand, you're like oh this the guy, guy drops got it. This guy doesn't got it. But um, I think I might do that when we go to the combine. Though I'm gonna get my headphones out like, a little and oh, you know, try okay. to make make sure what we're doing here. But that's you know gonna do it. Let
1: you watch this.
0: That's gonna do it for the YouTube version, the live YouTube version of the podcast but right now if you are listening on spotify apple podcast Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast we are going to do the curtis weaver interview i had a chance to talk with him a very funny interview he's a good dude we're gonna be excited to see him at the combine see what he weighs in at the combine but good that's gonna do it for two for one drafts this has been austin gale mike renner again two for one drafts Um, yeah, we can go ahead and jump right into this, man. I, um, big, biggest reason want to talk to you, you're, you're very high in, in, on PFF's radar in terms of where we see you kind of fitting in the NFL, the production that you've had at Boise State, high pass rush production, all that stuff. Some, some clerical stuff here. I, I know that you had a little bit of an ankle injury late in the season, and how, how much did that affect your on-field play? I know you didn't miss a ton of snaps, but you, you still played through it. How did that affect kind of your end of season?
2: Um, yeah, not making no excuses as, um, like to start things off, but but um, it like ankle play plays with the like your bend and your pass rush. Like that's what was a big thing for me was bending turning that corner and helping me get to the quarterback. So uh the ankle the ankle injury what like affected my bend I can feel uh, real quick. But uh a lot of adrenaline came into play so it wasn't hurting that bad.
0: No, you know, another thing I wanted to bring up too. Is, so speaking of Ben, and, and just I would love for you to kind of describe, you know in, in this entire process, you got people calling you, you got NFL teams talking to you, giving you feedback on what type of player, what type of player you are. I'd love to hear from you, like what where you see yourself fitting into this class, fitting into the NFL. What kind of player is Curtis Weaver?
2: Um, I feel like I'm more comfortable out of the two-point stance. So you can go outside linebacker. You can say edge. Um, every NFL team has a different scheme. Everybody looks at me a different way. But for me, I feel comfortable in the two-point stance, and that's what I see myself in. Like, I'm not comparing myself to other NFL players, but how Vaughn Miller plays in the two-point stance. Um, Clowney can play in the two-point stance. There's a lot of two-point stance players, and I feel more, most com- comfortable in that.
0: And you played a very ver- role at Boise State. I mean, they had you dropping into coverage a handful of times this yeah. the season. Do you see yourself doing a lot of that in the NFL, or do you kind of want to just pin your ears back after the pass, or where do you see from an, from an assignment standpoint? I see what you're saying from an alignment standpoint. From an assignment standpoint, where do you see your role in the NFL? Um, I'll
2: probably see you talking to my agent more in a pass uh, rush role. But me dropping in Boise State shows my versatility, and I can drop, and um, I'm comfortable with like past, uh, concepts, all route concepts. So I know like what's happening. So it wasn't a difficult thing to do. Like watching film and stuff helped me um, make things easier.
0: So it sounds like uh, it sounds like the feedback you've gotten, you know, from your agent or from NFL teams, it, you've already received some. What ha- what has come down to you? What have they said about your game? And some positive things, or where they'd like to improve? I'd love to hear what NFL teams see you right now.
2: Um. Not that. That's not. Um. Talking right now. Like an NFL scouts is mostly like background checks as of right now. Because mm-hmm. I'm still a junior here, and they like like no one knew. It. Like they didn't have enough time. Like we did with seniors, I believe. So, like, a lot of that's going to happen, I feel like, at the Combine and these interviews coming up. But it's like the edge. Um, some um, scouts at the edge, some scouts at outside linebacker. So we're just uh, we're practicing for both. We're working out for both. So.
0: Preparing for the Combine, assume. Did you receive an invite to the Combine? Yes. Sir. Very good stuff, man. And for that, you know, um, what, do you, what, what are you working towards right now from a weight perspective? Is there a goal weight line you want to hit, or are you trying to cut? Or are you trying to build up? Where, where are you trying to go there?
2: Um, we're trying to get, uh, like you guys say, we're trying to get the fat off, uh, fat boy oh, off. Oh, man, you uh, heard that. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my friend sent it to me, and I was like, man, it, it is what it is. But, um, uh, yeah, so we're cutting the uh, fat off, but... Um, we're looking in. We're looking to get down be, um, below the two hundred and sixty to two hundred and sixty-five range. So we're on pace for that for the combine. Um, Improve times. You want the times to be great. Set the mark. And yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for context to that, I
0: mean, we were talking. You know, Mike and I, my podcast host, talking at, yeah. at the Senior Bowl, talking to some NFL evaluators, and they're saying, you know, because we're so high on you. You know, we see as we see, you as, yeah. you know, we see you as the seventeenth best player in this class. Like we see you as what edge three behind Kurt, uh, Chase Young and AJ Finessa, but everyone. <laughs> When we see other NFL evaluators, the first thing they bring up is body type. I can't see a transition, so it makes sense that you are prioritizing it. And with that yeah. being said, what, what, what diet goal, what dietary things are you doing, and what kind of workouts are you doing to kind of get down to that weight?
2: Um, well, here at Exos, are doing a wonderful job of talking with the nutritionist with Noel. She's doing a right right job giving me the right portions of food and then brent and jordan giving me the right like workouts. so i'm in the scene called club sexy so after workout (laughs) yeah after workouts i'll double up and um get a little condition in there so um, anything to do to like get that extra like ab in extra muscle in extra like uh, whatever it is to help get my body right for the combine so that wouldn't be a question when we get there Club sexy. I
0: think I might need to join as well. Um, for For that too, I want to I want to talk more on that. Or what what have some of the challenges been with that? Are there certain foods you're cutting out that you can't do? I know I know uh, Chad Ocho Cinco, big McDonald's fan. I've said there's some things that make things difficult. I know uh, Josh Allen, the edge defender from Kentucky, had to cut out some foods. Is it what are the challenges for you in the diet?
2: Um, coming from college, you know, like it's um. It was like you didn't have like a lot of money. So you went to the fast food spots, but it's, um, it's been pretty wet. It's been pretty good. Like it's all the mentality when I think about it, like it's what do you want your body? Um, You're eating for money pretty much like your body. So I'm not, I'm not looking at the bad side of it. I'm looking at the good side of it. Like, our three t- um, three meals a day, our vitamins, our fish oils, our um, smoothies. Like, it's all good. Like, I'm not full. I'm hydrating. I'm drinking my gallon and a half a day. So, nice. I'm, I'm good. I'm pretty good, yeah. There
0: you go. That's good, man. I've talked to other guys, man, that really, really struggle when, you know, trying to cut and stuff. I was talking to, on the opposite end, Akeem Davis-Gaither of App State, one of the linebackers in this class. He got up. Yeah. He had to get up to 219, <laughs> and he said he's eating 6,000, 7,000 calories a day. That sounds insane. Like, I don't even know how you guys – Pretty yeah, to that. but I mean, it sounds like a worthwhile process. So much gets gets put into how much players weigh in at forty yard time, all that kind of stuff. So prioritizing that makes sense. I want to get back to the field now, though. Talk to me. Preparation is so important at a lot of positions. Quarterback, obviously, most important. And receiver, corner, those things. In a given game week, walk me through. You know how you're attacking. Op- you know your opposition. How are you preparing for your opposition in a given game week?
2: Um, not to give like any, some um, secrets away. Cause I got to keep mine to myself, but you start off, uh, you start off the week, you watch some game film, like see how they are. Like, what are you going to get? Um, the things they get through the game, how they change, how they go, how they go throughout the game. And then the next day you go more technical. You watch who you're going against your matchup for the week, um, essentially. So you ask your coach for tips. You, you go to the offensive line coach, you ask for tips, like, all right, this type of blocker he is, what's the best move for this and stuff. And then um a little weird thing is like, like you said, and earlier, I dropped a lot this year. So like when I'm all, um, one of my, um, a lot of my close friends were DBs. So the back four of our um, defense and like during like days when I had like, I was just waiting for them to finish up film. I'll go in their room and watch what kind of route concepts we had or the other team had. So it'll help me like when I dropped, it made things easier. I know what I'll do. And it was like, and the communication level was high. So that was a big thing too. And then um, Thursday, Friday, if you didn't know it, you didn't know it. But I, always wanted, I always wanted to. I always had it on Thursday, Friday. Like you only wanted like maybe one or two questions coming into the week. And, and game day, it's you don't have to study no more because you know it's just pin your ears back in. let's. Play. I don't want to, I don't want to ask
0: for too much of the secret sauce, but if I go back to one part of that, when you are watching the specific player, the specific <laughs> offensive tackle you're about to go against, is there, can you give me any insight on some of the things you look for? Is it stance? Is it athleticism? Is it, you know, reads or any tells? I would love to know when you're looking at, Hey, I'm going to be going against this guy for 50, 60 snaps this weekend. This is what I need to know.
2: Um yeah it goes into like like you said stance like does he kick back hella fast does he kick does um, he is he strong is he athletic like there's like everybody's different in their own ways everybody's great in their own ways so you got to see what makes them great and what makes them bad so you always want to attack the bad but there's some guys who like they're bad might be it might they might be 50 50 so you have to um, switch it up on them a lot so it just goes in every week everybody's different
0: and, and do you watch any film on yourself at any point maybe not in the game week but in the off season to try and critique what you're doing and get better in that regard
2: um, yeah I'm watching film on myself right now but usually Sundays were the days like you watch what you could have done but um, it's not what, uh, it's what you could have done, but never like, oh, like, I didn't put all my heart out, out there. Like, that's never a question. It's just, oh, I could have done this move different. It's never like the effort standpoint of things. But, yeah, right now we're going over. Um, I'm looking at what I could do better for the next level, what I have to get better at, and, like, just knowing more of the defense, not just what I have the front seven has more of, like, everybody. Yeah. Let's
0: get into those moves. I mean, every time I talk to a lot of pass rushers over the past few years, uh, Brian Burns, Josh Allen, Chase Winovich. These guys. I mean, these guys. That, and the first thing that always comes up that where they get most excited is talking about the, the the list of pass rush moves they've got, how they prepare, and what goes into their head pre-snap. Let, give me some insight on the pass rush moves you lean towards, some of your favorite moves, or how, how exactly you put together this tool belt. A lot of people refer to it as a tool belt of pass rush moves
2: um yeah the tool belt um like you said brian burns i watched him out of college his tool belt was probably the heaviest out of all (laughs) pass rushers he had every move you can probably see and then like watching other guys around the um around college like k love from lsu chase aj all those guys like everyone has their own pass rush move but for me it was um just your get off like I always wanna I always practice my get off so once you get a good get off, then I went to um, you can go from double hand swipe, you can go from dead arm, you go from all those moves out of that's just off of a good get off. Mm -hmm. And then what I didn't have this year, like that people already know, is I didn't have that bull rush factor like other guys did. So um right now we're working on the bull rush with um D line coach and Coach Tuck. So he's helping me with that to put that in my arsenal. And like I always like to spin move, but like um it was like time and play. Like like Dwight Freeney said, um, he specialized in the spin move. Watching his film, like you got to know, you got to sell it, you got to know when to hit, it and things like that. So yeah, I,
0: I mean, when you're you know when you're lining up, you're in that two point stance. Is what's going through your head the first move you want to attack them with, and maybe a counter, or are you kind of maybe you don't even think of where you want to go until you're two three steps into the get off. When when do you kind of decide, or is it all
2: instincts? I don't know. I need to know. Um, it's it's a, a pass rush plan. So you have your first move and your counter. Mm-hmm. And then if like, like you're not going to get them every time. Like we looked at about it. You have like 80 snaps a game and you get what, two sacks a game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like it's a low chance of pass rush, but um you want, if you get caught up in your two moves, you want to have like a quick instincts to get off and maybe get a third effort move to get that effort hit on the quarterback. Maybe get an um, effort sack, a, a cover sack. Great. Um, from the DBs, but yeah, it's, um, it's all pass rush plan. That's what I look into it. Like your first move and your counter move. Yep. So that's what you work through the week and through off season.
0: Good, man. That's great. I mean, uh, looking ahead a little bit now, what are you most looking forward to at the combine? I mean, talking to the guys, the players there, they say it's busy as hell. That's the first thing yeah. say. It's like, dude, you, you don't have time to breathe, even barely eat, and you're you're doing interviews, you're doing interviews with teams, you're doing interviews with media. Then you got the drills, all that stuff. If you're looking, what are you most looking forward to there uh, to kind of prove yourself? Is it the interview process? Is it the testing? I, I would love to know.
2: Um, you wanna you wanna show out on everything you do, interviews, testing. That's all going to help you in the draft. But for me, it's just. I'm going to just enjoy it because there's a lot of guys and co- there's a lot of college football players who don't get that invite and yeah. you got to look at them. They'll, they'll do a lot just to get that invite. Like they'll snap their arms to get that invite. You got to look at that um, aspect of things. So I'm just going to enjoy the moment, take um, advantage of it, get these great interviews in, um, get a great combine in and show my skill set. and then see the other great players. will be there.